Which one, Ed? Which one least impacts your perfect hand that you went on scouting oh, missions? You're so, so optimized. You you're so that. optimized. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's so mean. This game is custom made for Evan's type of pain and suffering. Right? <laughs> you, just like have to, you just have to not care about winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Which Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we're high seas hustling to complete quests faster than the other captains in Quests and Cannons. Next up, we hustle for followers from a dystopian cast of hundreds in Red Rising. And lastly, we're hustling around sand traps and water hazards as we putt for a hole-in-one in Play 9. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis, here with my decades-long gaming buddies, Evan Bernstein. Hello. Ed Povolitis. Hey, guys. And Mike Grenier. Ba-na-na-na. That's the Zelda secret, sorry. Our first game up this week is Quests and Cannons, The Risen Islands, designed by Eric Geller and Shannon Geller, published by Short Hop Games, coming to Kickstarter 2021. Number of players, 1 to 6, ages 14 and up, playtime 20 to 120 minutes. Okay, Mikey, what is in this gigantic box? On the cover, we find what can only be called a 20 or Dwarf Slash Bunny, and several of his animal fantasy story mashup opponents preparing to perpetrate piracy on a somewhat secluded sea. Inside this chest we find six player ship dashboards, 18 sail tokens, six wooden player ships, 50 resource tokens, nine character standees, 24 cannon tokens, 24 cargo slot covers, 54 ammo dice, 6 traveler dice, 30 hull damage tokens, 3 20 champion tiles, 3 pork champion tiles, 3 delf champion tiles, 6 action point trackers, 21 trihex terrain tiles, 15 single hex terrain tiles, 3 starting kingdom tiles, 3 outpost tiles, three trading post tiles, 18 island feature tokens, six score trackers, 39 coins, 45 quest cards, 18 clue cards, and 45 loot cards. And that's what's in the box. Oof. Well, before we find out if this game misses the mark or is a 42-pounder right to the broadside amidships. <laughs> Evan, tell us how it's played. Quest and Cannons, The Risen Islands, is a strategy game about exploration, epic quests, and exciting combat. Players use action points each turn on an open-movement modular game board to explore the various islands, receive quests from the settlers, gather resources, find map clues, upgrade their ships, collect loot, (laughs) and trade cannon fire with rival adventurers. Basically everything. (laughs) Everything a pirate could want. (laughs) That's right. Use those action points and use them wisely. Now, players earn prosperity points by finishing quests, completing map clues, and attacking other players. The object of the game? Well, to get the most prosperity, (laughs) and thereby becoming the greatest explorer in the entire animal kingdom. 
All right. Well, it's funny that you say pirates, Mike, because Mm -hmm. this game isn't about pirates. It's really more about explorers. Mm, And Ed and I played this game. And I know you guys were uh, bouncing around playing a few other games at the same time, but Mm -hmm. we're able to look over our shoulder from time to time to get Mm -hmm. a good look at it. Mm -hmm. And Ed, what did we play? Well, Short Hop Games was very kind to send us a prototype. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's a good-looking prototype. Yeah, let me tell you, for a prototype, it was super fancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the components were wooden. (laughs) (sighs) Wooden. Love it. And if you didn't look too closely, you would not be able to tell this was a prototype. I think the only thing that gave it away was probably looking looking at the components from the side and seeing that they were sort of stickered onto cores. Mm -hmm. So other than that, it looked beautiful. The art is all there in this prototype. So we really got a a good picture of what the game was going to be. I liked the components a lot. I mean, I love that ship dashboard. Yeah, that ship dashboard. And I haven't seen everything like laser cut and like all everything fits so nicely together. Not like super tight, like, oh, like you need to wedge it in there. It was still nice and loose, but... You had space, there was a dual layer display, so when you got a thing, it kind of nicely felt in there. It's like, yeah, I'm building this chip up. I'm seeing, like, more stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, got, you got to drop your sails in the top and your cannons in the bottom and your loot went under them, and they mm-hmm. all had nice little spots that couldn't slide around. It was really cool. I've been watching these guys for a while. We saw him at uh, PAX Unplugged when he was still earlier in development, and he's been upgrading these pieces for quite a long time after seeing a lot of people play this game he knows where you need a, like a finger cut out to pull stuff up off the board or like what kind of components he's going to try to make to make everything run more smoothly yeah this is not a guy that rushes to market he does <laughs> no. not no and i mean that's really sh- it really shows in mm-hmm. the look and play of this game we're exploring the little islands and flip them up every time you flip up a, a new island you get you no know, some free resources and then no, you got quest cards you can complete. Like, ooh, I got the right stuff. I'm gonna let me let me race over to the outpost and turn this stuff in for you no know, rewards and bonus points, and and then uh, load up and go out exploring again. The way the story unfolds is really neat. You get to get to an island, and if you're first, you get loot. You know, you get resources immediately. Another piece of this that I really enjoyed was the storytelling of this game. It's not a difficult game to get into. You're given a character with a little write-up that tells mm-hmm. you, you know, what his little bonuses are and Cute. what he can do. Yep. Do you still get to blow each other away, though? <laughs> Wait, not yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's these little quest cards that tell you a little tiny story of mm-hmm. what you're trying to do. So it gives you a mission to go on, mm-hmm. um, which tells you, sort of indicates what kind of resources you're going to aim for and everything else and i really liked these little stories can i read you guys one yeah please all right so you flip over a quest and it might say it says for example this one says it has a title bigger boom better bang a 20 (laughs) alchemist from boulder point is sure that he can make a better explosive powder for cannons and judging from the lack of fur on his face you think he might be right (laughs) So then underneath, there's a little picture of your objective. Basically, go get him these items and bring them to him and he'll give you rewards or not necessarily him giving you the rewards, but this is the general rewards you'll be getting for accomplishing that quest to help him out. And 
I I love that. It's so simple. Story, Mm -hmm. objective, reward, done. I mean, the amount of components that I saw, I was really intimidated by this game. But it's really nice to hear that it actually became simple as you played it, though. I was impressed with how quickly it it got going as well. I mean, I'm not talking about the setup. The setup is kind of evolved because there's (laughs) so many tile pieces Mm -hmm. that you can, like, set up the board. And it seems to offer a lot of replayability and a lot of different modes to play. And can I just say, because it was just Ed and I, I couldn't check out during setup because <laughs> I would have looked like a total jerk. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, I couldn't just like hide in my phone. So I had to politely and quietly stack everything up <laughs> while Ed is reading the rule book. Nice. It was a very different experience from our normal hectic <laughs> gameplay. Yeah, and I think we packed it up better than we got it too. We threw a couple more bags in for his prototype to separate stuff more. I think that will help the next player who gets it. Yeah, I think well, I'm gonna have to mail it on to the next uh no next person to take a look at this game and <laughs> I have it all nicely sorted in baggy that like like I like to do. Oh yeah. Ed Ed could not handle it. He couldn't handle leaving it in that condition. <laughs> <laughs> uh so Ed while I was stacking up all this stuff, you were looking at what a tiny little rule book no um it's uh <laughs> it's about the size of the box and uh 20 pages so this is like wow no 20 ledger size pages but the nice thing is, is i normally need reading glasses for these things you do not need reading glasses it's nice big text. Okay. <laughs> oh, and that's there's a good. lot of pictures in it too yeah a lot of examples so the, the they're well, it might seem intimidating, but they're taking the effort to explain all the little diffs and all, and all the all little different play modes in there. Now, another thing about this game is your movement. So you're moving around a, Evan, a hex-based board, and it was tight. Very, It seemed like a really small little ocean. For all the different pieces you go to, we bumped into each other pretty quickly, even though it was a two-player game. Exactly. The tightness of it, I liked because it never felt like I was stuck waiting to get somewhere Mm -hmm. like I always had an option to go somewhere on my turn Um, and I never felt like that here there's a couple neat little things the terrain there gives you some choices because there are some dangerous places on the map and they're shortcuts like do I take the dangerous route and possibly get there a couple of moves sooner which might be a turn Mm. or go ahead Go around it, cause I don't want to risk my my damage to the to dice. I'm gonna guess. <laughs> I'm gonna guess Ed took the safe way around. Is dice your hull hull points or your ship integrity? You know, there's the hull points, and what happens if you go into the hazardous thing? You roll the dice, and if you're unlucky, you get damaged, and you have to roll again until you get the right number to get away from the the storm. Oh. Now you get a sink herself. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, she takes the point of damage, but she's plus one on her next roll. Oh, oh yeah. you take another That's point it, of damage. Man. One no, more, no, no. I'm dead. Yeah. One more. Oh, oh no! She sunk herself. Unbelievably bad rolls. Three points for that, probably. So, <laughs> to answer your question, Mike, and that'll lead us into combat. Uh, Ed was careful most of the game, but <laughs> I and that actually allowed me to get way ahead. 
but I couldn't quite win before Ed sort of turned his eye toward me. And it was <laughs> like, mm, let me, you know, uh, getting ready to bombard me. And all of the time right. he was building up his ship, I was collecting victory points, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so now he had like a fully fully stocked cannon ready ship and I was like a on the run. Armed and operational <laughs> battleship. Yes. Wow. That's right. tyrant. Yeah. So you know, I had to weave in and out of things and that is when pressing my luck on these rockier terrains really came to the fore, right? So mm-hmm. Ed chased me across rocky terrain and unfortunately the dice were just in his favor. And he caught up to me a couple of times, and uh, I don't remember who won. Oh, you you won, but I did I did manage to do some damage to your ship, but not enough to sink it. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was really scary though. Being chased by Ed was very scary, but when the combat came right down to it, it wasn't as brutal as I thought it was going to be. What did you think, Ed? No, it's like it, it was it was scary, like you said, but. The dice, your ammo dice, are a limited resource. So you only have as much as you have on it. It's like, ha-ha, I hit you a couple, ah, I ran out of dice. I have to go to port and rearm. And in addition to quests, there's also map clues and loot. So those are other types of cards. The loot was kind of cool because sometimes you got a secret piece of loot, which you could use in a ship slot, and then you could sort of reveal it during combat. That's how you avoided (laughs) me once. It's like, ah, coming at you all guns and blazing, and all of a sudden there's a fog. I was like, what? It was like a jar of smoke or something that you threw out. Yes, it's that lost in the fog piece of loot. So, Mm -hmm. yes, it was in the the narrative of it is that uh, it was a jar that you threw out, a magic jar of fog. Uh Aha. That's fine. You got my loot. Destroy your loot. Destroy it. Oh, no, my bag of fog. Which, bag of fog. Bag of fog. <laughs> like this is in case in case you're being chased by anybody. Like, oh, that's cool. Bag of fog and the you. quests are adorable. They're all micros. Now, now the object of the game is gathering prosperity. So, what got you the most prosperity? It sounds like adventuring more than fighting. Yes, I would definitely say completing clues. But if you combated, you could really knock down other people's prosperity, and, and mm-hmm. you get points for winning battles. Hmm. So that's a pretty good swing if you win a fight. Yeah, honestly, you could do it either way. I guess that speaks to the flexibility of the game. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury quests and cannons. Just me and you, Ed. What do you say? Quests and cannons reminds me a lot of merchants and marauders, which is a good thing for me. I enjoyed building up my ship with stuff and cargo and exploring the high seas for profit and adventure. (laughs) <laughs> There's a lot of stuff here, and it offers many modes of play to explore. I'll dig this up to rally the crew and set sail. The extended play testing really shows in this game. I don't want to trivialize its solid mechanics and theme by calling this game cute, but it is cute. In the best <laughs> sense of the word, it is pleasant, pretty, and neat. Dig it up. If you have thoughts about quests and cannons... Let us know. Come chat with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord. We're all over the place on social media. See you there. Hey, everybody. What's going on with which game first? Well, Celeste, we are still offering Board Game Design Conference recordings at our website, boardgamedesignconference.com. Although the conferences have passed, you still have access and a chance to get them all for one low, low price. $9.95. Come now. Get it. Absolutely. And (laughs) for those who are interested, 
we're going to have an interview with the conference's keynote speaker, Reiner Nesia, coming up soon on a special episode of Which Came First. So look forward to that as well. We're also working hard on our next project, the CT Fig, Connecticut Festival of Indie Games. Uh, right now, we're accepting applications from game designers in any stage of development to showcase their game and compete against their fellow designers and get feedback from peers as well as some publishers that might be wandering around at, at Kineticon. Yep, this is a straight-up showcase in Hartford, Connecticut. So if you can get there, you can apply today at Connecticut Fig, F-I-G, ConnecticutFig.com. And if you're an exhibitor, we'll have booths available right in the center of the exhibit hall. Yeah, even if you're competing mm -hmm. at, right at your booth, you can sell other games that you have published already. Or, you know, I don't know, uh, something you wove together uh, at home. Who knows? You can sell whatever <laughs> you want there. <laughs> and, and I believe one of our local universities will have a showcase there. That's right. At least one. At, yeah, at That's least right. one of them. Right now, we've been talking to UConn and a couple of the other uh, local universities so they can talk about their awesome schools and show off some of their, their designers at the con. Yeah, so you can go to school for game design. Who knew? That's right. <laughs> Certainly not when we were kids. No, I wish. <laughs> oh, man, I would have loved that. <laughs> and we just wanted to say thank you again to our patrons and invite all of our listeners to be a patron of our show. If you want to support us, it's what keeps the show going. Uh, our patrons, we are so grateful for them. It's very inexpensive. If you think we're worth it, it's $3 a month. You can go to our website, click on Become a Supporter Today, and what you get for that $3 a month is a few really ancient but private <laughs> only way to get it is through being a patron episodes of which game first <laughs> and a weekly podcast that we do just for our patrons called B -b 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 bonus points bonus points <laughs> bonus points yeah it's like a 10 to 18 minute show every <laughs> single week <laughs> it's a 46 minus 1d yeah <laughs> length show, show every, every week. single week uh we're where we talk about all kinds of stuff. So if you want to spend Whatever a little bit. Whatever you feel like talking about. That's right. Anything. Anything. Yeah, so even wanna... interrupting Celeste. Yep, that's right. So if you <laughs> want to spend a little bit more time with us and be a supporter of the show, we would deeply appreciate it. You can go to our website, whichgamefirst.com, and support us today. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Our next game up this week is Red Rising, designed by Alexander Schmidt and Jamie Stegmeier, published by Stonemeyer Games in 2021. Number of players 1 to 4, ages 14 and up, playtime 45 to 60 minutes. Okay, Mikey, tell us what's in the box. The box shows a symbolic wolf head looming large over an array of powerful silhouettes lined up atop the red planet each of them alight with the hues of their faction beaming down from above. Behind these magnificent and mysterious figures you'll discover 112 character cards, 6 asymmetric house tiles, a board, a wolf head tray and lid, 60 helium tokens, 60 influence tokens, a sovereign token, a crescent moon first player token, a custom rising die, 6 fleet tokens, 6 card holders, a score pad, and six reference cards. Man, today is component day, isn't it? <laughs> uh, uh -huh. and that's what's in the box. Before we tell you if this is a rising star or a crash landing, Evan, tell us how it's played. 
Red Rising is a hand management combo building card game. Start with a hand of five cards. On your turn, you may deploy one of those cards to one of four locations on the board. This activates that card's deploy benefit. You may then either gain the top card from one of the other three locations, or you can top draw from the face down deck. A special location bonus applies when you take a card. If you choose not to deploy, then you can scout. Scouting is when you turn over the top draw card from the face down deck and place it on one of the four locations to activate the benefit. Now scoring is chaotic, <laughs> with lots of synergy points and abstract bonuses for color combinations and name matches and all sorts of things. But the player with the most points wins and gets to don the cape, also known as the Red Rising Hood. Oh no, I made that part up. <laughs> uh, clearly because I haven't read the book. And it's based on a book. Well, this is a brand spanking new game and mm. a shiny new box. And we played it live at mm -hmm. Evans. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we yes, did. Yes. And uh, just to be clear, we had the collector's edition where it had uh, mm -hmm. a few of those uh, extra components and some premium components in that box. What were the premiums? What were the upgrades, Ed? Well, the card holders are in the collector's edition only. These... Um, some of the cards have gold foil on them. That's oh. only in the collector's edition. Oh. <laughs> and we had uh, metal uh, influence tokens and metal ship tokens, while in the regular version, those are plastic. That is one drawback, right, of the hmm. collector's edition, the, the metal plating colors? Yeah, we had, we were going to get into that. But the <laughs> colors on the metal ones were a little more muted than I think the plastic ones were going to be, mm. if, based on the pictures. So... I thought they ended up being a little closer to each other than the plastic ones. Yeah, there's 11 factions that all have their own color, but some of the colors are super close to each other. Even on the cards, it was hard to tell them apart. There are six sets of colors for the players to play. Mm -hmm. And yep. there were four of us, and we could not get four distinct colors out of those metal sets. Right. Meaning, <laughs> yeah. meaning three of the colors were quite distinct, but... Then when it came for the fourth person to pick their color, it was going to be too close to one of the other three colors mm -hmm. to for comfort. Yeah, yellow and gold were practically the same. Yeah. Oh, in the cards, yeah. So, you know, that is one of the drawbacks. They're very they were very fun to hold. Very nice. Now, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I loved them. Now, Ed, that fox, there's a little fox container for the gems which were helium. Uh mm -hmm. does that only come in the collector's edition? I believe that's in both. Okay, that was but cool. The, uh, I like the that. Insert, the insert, the insert, the big box tray is a collector's edition. But the, the little fox one is in both. Oh, that's very fox. Cool. I was calling that a wolf. Uh, I guess it looks more like a fox. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's probably a wolf. You're probably Oh, maybe right. yeah. <laughs> a wolf fox. <laughs> Again, we wouldn't wolf know because fox. we are completely unfamiliar with the intellectual right. property of this game. <laughs> and Which... after playing the game, I cannot say we are any more familiar with it than <laughs> we were prior to. Half, halfway through, what? These are characters in the book? Really? Yeah, okay. there's a book. Yeah. The art is really nice, but like on the characters and stuff. But yeah, I, I didn't know this was an actual story from a book and the game didn't really tell us that story extremely well i thought to think that all of these characters by the way 112 distinct individual characters mm -hmm. right 112 112 <laughs> distinct characters in one with, book. with unique abilities and unique combinations and names and everyone name yeah. everyone name many of those were like administrator that the lower cast ones were 
administrator and stuff like that. The ones that were gold, was it the highest cast, and then actually the most cards of in the deck? And I, oh, I after uh, playing the game, I did a little bit of the reading up on what the books were about, and apparently, mm-hmm. it's like this is about life on Mars, where it's been broken down into a kind of a dy- dystopian society with the everyone driven by cats with the gold people on top, and each color facts kind of like with like a job, like the Reds were the warriors or, or something like that. Yep. So knowing all that, okay, (laughs) knowing all that, it still doesn't help me figure out how these characters relate to one another as far as like getting combos going. Some people listening to this might say, so what? So there's 112 different characters. Magic the Gathering has 10,000 characters, Mm -hmm. you know, 10,000. But it's not the same in that with Magic the Gathering, for example, it's a game that is designed to just deal with the powers on a particular card against powers on cards that are standing right opposing it. Mm-hmm. So it's a simpler layout, a simpler structure, a simpler understanding of how these cards are supposed to work together. Also, there's a symbology on magic cards that allow you to understand how that card is going to operate quickly and simply. I could not figure out how these cards were going to quickly and simply operate. The symbology that you normally get in a Euro game, for example, to tell you what benefits and detractions these cards have just didn't exist in this game. So you had to read everything. Secrets? Yeah. All right. Secrets. That's kind of cool, too, because now we have no idea that she has whatever card she has. We don't see it. Nah. She could have the freaking, uh, the the, the, the MacGuffin. (laughs) MacGuffin. Fleet track. Lame. What do you mean? I don't need fleet stuff. I'm not competing on fleet. Far too fleet. I mean, one thing I learned about halfway through the game, though, about on that particular topic, is that if a character related to another specific character, there was these two, like, slash pictures of that other character they relate to on the side of the card. So it'll have an X through one if you don't want to have that character together with that other one. And there's their picture if you do. Right. Which I thought was helpful. <laughs> yeah, that was very helpful. They had their little information bars like, oh, if this card was good with purple, you have a little purple bar on it. Oh, if this one good with blue, you'll have a little blue bar on it. And and basically, there's only a couple of pieces of information that you really need to know about the card. One was, what will you get if you deploy the card? Which is basically getting rid of it. And then at the very bottom is, what other bonus point can you get if you keep the card? Mm-hmm. It felt very odd functionally for me. It was almost like seeing a rotating tray of desserts <laughs> and taking one off and then being like, do I want the rice pudding? No, let me put the rice pudding. Oh, here comes cheesecake. Ooh, this cheesecake has chocolate on it. Wait, do I want this? No, let me put this back and grab that. And then at the end, you're stuck with a few desserts and you're not super happy with them. <laughs> but it's just what you ended up with. Ooh, it made discard it made discarding certain cards difficult and discarding in its own right was practically difficult. <laughs> it was difficult even if you wanted to discard. <laughs> there was very hard to find ways to burn cards in this game. Yeah. I feel like generally you're better off having more cards than having less cards, so burning a card completely is didn't seem like an optimal choice to make during the game. No, that's why I thought being a cat and having to be forced to get rid of a card was actually detrimental because cards are generally speaking worth, say, like 15 points. And if you can bonus it, probably worth around 30 points. So 
Now I happen to make a choice of like, eh, I got to get rid of a 15 point card mm-hmm. and I ha- it's not going to be easy to regain that extra card. So that, that, that was a, a challenge. But I really enjoyed trying to find the combinations and looking through, ooh, uh, like, okay, this combos with this and I got this other thing combo. And if I get these other guys, it's helping both of these things combo. So this is mm-hmm. a hand building game where you're drafting cards throughout the play trying to build a perfect hand of cards. And once you're done, then you can just try to race for the different points on the tracks. It seemed like a waste to me to bother trying to get all this intellectual property. And it's like I could have invented and been just as close to a bunch of people that I made up at random because the story didn't exist. The characters existed, but the story was not in this game. I think for the people who are familiar with the IP... They're going to say, oh, this is Daro. He's going to have, and the bonus he had makes sense to them. So for people who are familiar with the IP, they're going to want like, oh, yeah, Orion, I know him, and he's going to do this. And, you know, the color kind of makes sense a little bit because you you know where all the different casts are. So, it, you know, the theme helped does a little bit of the, you know, heavy lifting of explaining what the 11 different colors are. Ed, I have no doubt that this game does plenty of fan service. No doubt. But coming in unfamiliar with the intellectual property, I don't know that it needed to be there at all for this for this game to work this way. I mean, the story didn't exist in the game. That doesn't mean that fans of Red Rising won't love it, love seeing their the pictures of their characters that they love and, and mix and matching them. But I don't know that that had anything to do with gameplay. I mean, the gameplay is actually very basic. Um, I've seen these types of games where you're building a set of hands and trying to get as many bonus points as you can by getting the right combination. I love building crazy combos in a game, but definitely some of the combos here were superior to others in that some of them are just looking for other red cards or you know something like that or other gold cards. But some of them are looking for one specific character, which may never come up at all. And and those ones are really hard to get, but I didn't see the point spread really making up the difference for how difficult it was to obtain those cards. Right. So we don't really know. How do we know how balanced that part of this game is? We You don't. Hmm. It's You'd have to play this game a lot, really, to figure out which combinations are the best to make versus... You know, the ones you should really avoid and not waste your time on. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it actually would have been simpler, Evan, um, if they weren't constrained by the intellectual property here to make it more accessible uh, to understanding the combos and how to make well, the combos. Yes. We don't really know, you know? that either. We're, like yeah. you said, we're not familiar with the IP. So we don't know if, if you're going to try to play it as if it's a story unfolding or, or theme you're familiar with through the book, through the story itself. Is that going to get you on a path that gets you more points, or is it is it a trap in a way in which, yeah, Darrow <laughs> has these friends in the story, therefore I'm going to go after these cards in the game, and it should yield the highest points, but maybe it doesn't. How do you know? A big part of fishing for the right point is seeing what other people are getting rid of. Oh, yeah. Pretty much every turn, somebody's getting rid of something. So there's a lot of opportunity to get cards on the board. It's, there's either, and sometimes you can go dumpster diving and get some of the stuff that's been, you know, removed from the game in a that's way. That's true. So there's yep. a lot of opportunities to try to fish for just the right card. 
Ed, I heard there's a scoring app too. <laughs> there uh-huh. is. Uh, I found out when I was looking up on the resources online about this game. And I, was, I learned about the, the the different houses. There's one house that had like you no know, more cards than all the rest of them, but all the other ones had exactly seven different cards for each color. And then there's an app on there for scoring, which is you, you know, put in there what cards you had, it'll tell you what your score is. Oh. So you can test out stuff when you're looking at the board. You can use the scoring app to say, if I took this card, would my score improve or get worse? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's a pretty cool idea. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Red Rising. Evan? Red Rising is a wild ride of a card game. Be ready to have plans A, B, C, right through plan Z, ready to go. (laughs) Now, the game has some flaws, mostly having to do with the color choices. The card holders tipped over a couple times. Oh, yeah, the card holders. (laughs) (laughs) However, despite that, I still had fun, and I think I'd play it again, so I'm going to dig it up. Mike? Yeah, like Evan said, despite the difficulty in the telling the faction colors apart and stuff, I did see some common threads in each faction's strategy. I love combos, and this game had plenty of them, so I'd play it again. Dig it up. Ed? I really enjoyed the push-pull between trying to get the right combination of cards and racing the other players up the victory point track for either your fleet, getting all the helium, or your faction points and the influence, so... I'll dig this up for another adventure on Mars. (laughs) This is a game that I am sure fans of the book will appreciate, but without prior knowledge of all the huge amount of characters and casts they came from, the barrier to entry was just too high for me. I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on, and I (laughs) lost interest in a haze of TMI. So I'm going to have to bury it. If you have thoughts about Red Rising, let us know. We are at Which Game First on social media. Come talk to us. Instagram, Facebook, Discord. What else? Everywhere. Savoir Faire is everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Our last game up this week is Play 9, designed by Seal Anderson and Kathy Asel. Published by Double A Productions in 2004. Number of players 2 to 6. Ages 8 and up, playtime 20 to 60 minutes. Okay, Mikey, what's in the box? The cover of the box shows a hand of cards with anthropomorphic golf balls, who look surprisingly happy after being smacked by a club. They are resting on a field of green grass in front of a post-apocalyptically yellow sky. All right, guys, I gave you a lot of components before. I'm going to give you a break now. Ready? (laughs) Inside, you'll find 108 cards, a score pad, and a golf pencil. And that's what's in the box. Before we tell you if this game's a hole-in-one, Evan, (laughs) tell us how it's played. Play 9 is a card game whose theme is golf. Now, in golf, for those of you who don't know, the object is to shoot the lowest score. And so this card game, Play 9, has the same objective. Each player is dealt eight cards. Don't look at them. Keep them face down. Now range them in front of you. Two rows and four columns. Reveal any two cards. Flip them up. Face up. The rest of the deck is put in the center of the table and turn over the top card into the discard pile. Then play begins. First player can pull the top deck card and choose to play it or discard it. Or instead, the player can take from the top of the discard pile. The player can then substitute the card they draw for any one of the eight cards in front of them. Replace it with either a face-down or face-up card. The replaced card then goes into the discarded pile. 
Play continues until one player has no more face-down cards in front of them, and everyone gets a last lick, and then the scoring happens. All cards are revealed, and the scoring happens. You add up the points. The points range from 12 to negative (laughs) 5. Remember, low score is good. Now, two matching cards in the same column count as zero or less. And there are bonuses if you have four, six, and eight matching cards arranged in columns. That's one of the nine holes. You do this nine times, nine holes, and after nine holes, the lowest total score wins. Now, let's hit the links. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. All right. Well, Evan, where did you get this game? I bought it in a thrift shop the day before you guys came over to play it. We played it in person. I paid $4 for it. And this game was unopened and unplayed, still in its original interior wrappings. Yeah, with the golf pencil. Golf pencil. That's right. Which is, you know, and we've talked about what our dislike generally of golf pencils in the past. But 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 in this game, it was (laughs) spot on. It it informed theme and play absolutely perfectly. And speaking of components, I just want to give another shout out to this golf pencil. It was not your chintzy, cut off (laughs) yellow pencil with no eraser. It was not that golf pencil. It was a legit green golf pencil with a silver mm-hmm. edger of metal around a white eraser. Remember, everybody, this is Celeste Angelus giving mad props <laughs> to a golf pencil, which she despises usually. This is this is a historic moment. Yeah, it's no, it's perfect. It's informing play. <laughs> That's you know, right. It, it's the only place I will approve a golf pencil is in a golf game. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it had, it even, it even had, I'm sorry, but this is awesome. <laughs> it even had the Play 9 website written on it. <laughs> the, right, the domain, yes. Yep. Oh, so, you know, it wasn't from the 70s then. That's nice. Okay. But let's talk about the art mm-hmm. in this game. Okay. Ed, I know you loved the art here, right? <laughs> I mean, I would say love. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of almost too simple, but yet I had a little bit of a charm to it. I mean, the, the golf ball had glasses on. I mean... It's true. The golf ball was the star of the show in all of this art. And he looked like a blue happy face emoji. That's what he looked like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. With a cool hat sometimes. Yeah. He he was in different poses and in different clothing on these different cards, depending on what happened. But it basically looks like a clunkier version of emojis. That's The ball never looked upset either. Like, oh, no, the ball's in the sand trap. He didn't look mad about it. He was just kicked back on the beach. (laughs) Lounging on the beach. Yeah. The water hazard, he had your predictable snorkeling gear on, mm-hmm. you, know, fins, yeah. you know, that super <laughs> creative art here. No, I mean, and these are the ones you talk about because most of the other numbers were just dots on a card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh, my God, the box cover was like this mustard yellow <laughs> and a dark green. Yeah. Like, green why? grass with a post-apocalyptic yellow sky. Yeah. But green is the color of golf. OK, so you can understand the green. You needed a color to contrast it, right? So yellow does contrast green. It does stand out. (laughs) Yeah, but what is it supposed to be? Like, is it, what is it? It's a yellow sky? Yeah. Well, in golf, in (laughs) golf, things, there are things that are yellow. For example, the the pin, the golf pin, uh, which is where the, denotes where the hole is, you know, and the flag Mm -hmm. it holds, is typically yellow. Because it stands out against the green background. So make a yellow flag? 
markers denote, denoting hazards and out of bounds areas, those are usually marked in yellow. So, so let yellow... me get this straight, Evan. <laughs> okay, you're I'm defending me... the yellow here. Go ahead. You're telling me that the game designers went for authenticity over marketability. <laughs> is, is that what you're telling me with this yellow? <laughs> what you're, <laughs> what I'm saying is, if you're going to peel the golfers. Green and yellow is not an is not some obnoxious combination that they're not used to seeing. Okay. I've never been to France, so I don't know what the sky is like over there. But this game is a French game, so who knows? Could be anything. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's a French game. I think it just happened to be printed in both in English and French. Oh, okay. It is an international edition of the game. Ooh. Uh-huh. Nice. Ooh, we got the international edition for four dollars. Cool. Le jeu de carte de golf. <laughs> oui. This game, by the way, is this game, by the way, was absolutely mass production. Mm. You can buy it at Dick's yeah. Sporting Goods. You can oh, get it oh, at well. Walmart. You can get it at, you know, uh, Amazon. Them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was this was everywhere. This game. But the game, the game works. Oh, wait, we're going to talk about the game. Uh, oh, yeah. Are let's we, talk are about we the still game. talking about are we still talking about style. No, no, no we're, we're talking good. about the game. Yeah, it does work. The game does work. It's actually shockingly fun. I did not expect that. You look at it, it's like, oh, boring golf. You know, it's a bunch of golf balls with numbers on it. Ugh, it's going to be like go it's fish It's the reveal. Or I, I think the key is the reveal. The fact mm. that we start with six of our eight cards face down, and then you're, 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 you're taking a gamble by... By either flip, by either not taking the top deck of the card and revealing one of your own, you know, only to realize that, you know, you should have gone the other direction. So with every mm-hmm. flip of the card, it becomes this kind of tense moment. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> of course, you don't know. It's pure randomness. So it's like, hey, I got a seven. All right. Is this going to be better than the card I have here? Ah, well, let's flip it and find out because you have no way of knowing. <laughs> well, I mean, you are playing the odds, though. It's not complete randomness. You know, you're not rolling a die. You're like, well, it's this still is- completely random. Yes. You're playing the odds, maybe, but it's still completely random. Right, right. And, and you know, if you're like Ed, you'll hedge your bets and replace your seven with a three. If you're like me, you're going to want to get a card off the top of the deck and take your chances mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But I did have a really specific strategy, though, since your cards are six out of eight are face down when you start. My goal was to just reveal all but one of my cards as quickly as I could. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's the smart way to go. Just get everything out there as best you can. And then mm-hmm. no matter what you do, that last card is a is a flip and pray. Oh, well, <laughs> you could get really lucky. My first round, I got really lucky and just pulled the card I needed off the top and mm-hmm. boom, had a perfect hand. Yep. Or the person that's next to you on your right might accidentally throw away a face down card that they're replacing with something pretty low and give you like a hole in one that they didn't know was there too. That That's the thing. You've right. got to be careful who's mm-hmm. next to you. Yep. Oh, absolutely. You got to be conscious of the person to your left, who you're discard, who, what you're discarding and is that card going to benefit them? Mm-hmm. So you got to be real careful of that. But then let's say I take the card and I want to replace it with one of my face down cards. At that point, that face down card is about to become a discard and so, who you don't know, you just don't know what the heck. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, some, I mean, some of those uh, are not really choices. I mean, sure, <laughs> discarding that out of bound might be helpful to Mikey because he has one that he can match it with. But you're gonna keep it instead. Mm. I mean, but when I discard my seven and then reveal the card right underneath the one where I was gonna put down, and that was a seven too, I could have had zero points for that. So set if I painful. Had just kept it. <laughs> 
It's so exciting, though. It's so exciting. And earning the bonus points in this game is also, I think, an exciting feature because, like I said in the instructions, you're playing, you're looking at your cards in columns, you know, a top row and a bottom row, but columns count because if you can match your columns, then it becomes a zero, or in the case of negative fives, you get the minus 10. Mm-hmm. But get two columns of exactly the matching. If I have an 11 and 11, and then I have a third 11, I want that fourth 11 because I'll get more. Mm-hmm. I get bonuses if minus I get that 10 fourth 11. That. Yes. Dude. So, so good. I, that was very good of the designers to incorporate these additional bonuses mm-hmm. for these fours of a kind, six of a kinds, and ultimately eight of a kind, if you can be that lucky, mm-hmm. yeah. to, because it gives you a little press your luck. It had just enough rules there to like actually give you interesting choices during the game, which is very important to me, as everybody should know. <laughs> okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Play 9. Ed? My expectations were very low teeing up to this game. Everything is so random, which can be out of bounds most of the time for me. But the experience of flipping up that card was just exciting and fun to me that uh, I, I had fun. If you're looking for a strategy game, you won't find that here. But with a casual group of friends, don't worry about that sand trap. You'll be able to dig it up. Longest road to wow, dig it up I know. Ever. What a winding road. I get you had to justify it. Yeah, that was like wow. a hole in nine. Yeah. Mike? I was shocked at how much fun I had with this game. There were choices to be chosen and luck to be pressed <laughs> and just the right amount of rules so it's accessible to anybody and still fun. So I have to say dig it up. Evan? Play 9 is a well-designed party card game, easy to learn and a lot of fun to play. There is palpable tension and excitement (laughs) in the revealing of your cards and the other players' cards. This is the surprise find of the year so far. Mm -hmm. So dig this up. No mulligan required. (laughs) Excitement in every flip. Put a more attractive skin on this game and you may really have something here. (laughs) Wow. But even with its drab presentation, it was a lot of laughs. Dig it up. If you have thoughts about Play 9, come chat with us. We are everywhere on social media at Which Game First. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you're doing. Please come and chat with us. And if you would like more content from us, from me, from Mike, from Ed, from Evan, you can go to our website, click on Become a Supporter today, and get our exclusive podcast for patrons only. Bonus points. Happy gaming, explorers. <laughs> Ach, golf is the true Scottish game. For... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Advance me, mateys! <laughs>